There we go. All right, good morning, church. <clears throat> Thank you, Jeff, for the announcements. Um, the 10 years I've been doing tur Turkey Bowl, the old guys have won more times than the young guys. It's a lot of fun. I want to encourage you to come out. I mean, this last year it was really close, came down to the wire, and we almost had it right up to the point when, until Alex threw the interception. But then um, after that, we... <laughs> I'm just teasing. <clears throat> okay. You might be wondering why there are candles up here and why you have a candle. And the answer is because today is Orphan Sunday. And each candle that you have represents a child on this island. We're going to talk a little bit more about that later in the service, but I wanted to introduce Orphan Sunday that way. Um, Every year in November, we set aside a Sunday, and we talk about the need for us as a church to, how are we helping the orphans on this island? Um, the very first year, uh, there was about 150, uh, and it's grown each year. But my two motivators for doing this are, first, that comes from Scripture, James 1.27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So the first motivator, I could say, is that it has to do with an exhortation from Scripture. That word religion, you might think is like, oh, it's organized, an institution that organizes uh, how you do. No, no. The word religion there in that epistle that James uses is, it means our faith in Jesus Christ, the faith of our Lord in Lord Jesus Christ. So a pure, a pure religion, a pure faith in Jesus Christ, and then what does it say? Visits orphans. And the word visit, see in our English, we see, hear that word and we say, oh, it's like, you know, we drop in and have a donut with them or, or we... we uh, um, take them out to lunch, or we shoot basketball hoop with them. No, the word visit there, it actually, we get the word bishop from it. It has to do with being an overseer, to care for others, exercising oversight on their behalf, and helping them in their need. It means to shepherd an orphan. That's what it means. So when you put these thoughts together, a pure faith in Jesus Christ one of, because it also says a couple other things in that verse, but one of them is that you have built into your schedule, built into your life, a way in which you're mindful of the needs that orphans have where you live. That's what it means. And so if I go back in time 10 years, we started doing Orphan Sunday every November, partly for that reason, because I feel compelled by Scripture to build that into the people of our church. And the other reason I'm motivated is because, well, I should go on. I, I, I've got this quote from Douglas Moo. It says, One test of pure religion, therefore, is the degree to which we extend aid to the helpless in our world, whether they be widows and orphans, immigrants trying to adjust to a new life, impoverished third world, third world dwellers, the handicapped, or the homeless. 
essentially saying the marginalized within our culture, we must be mindful of them. That, that is one of the characterizations of who we are as the people of God. So is that true? Is that true of our church? Is that true of you? That's one of my first motivators is just scripture itself drives me towards that. But then secondly, I wanted to share with you, if you didn't know, that uh, I was a youth pastor here in Guam in the 1990s at another church up in Jigo. If you're driving to Anderson and you go through Jigo, you'll see it on your right. There's a picture of the church. That's what it looks like. Jigo Baptist Church. Have, still have friends there. The pastor who was there, who's there now, was there in the 90s when I was there. And in that, when we moved to Guam and we landed in that church, one of the things about that church that influenced us was they were a church that did what we're doing. They uh, emphasized foster care. They emphasized who are the orphans on the island. And there were many families in that church that had foster kids in their families. They even looked at ways in which they could help provide for for foster kids and orphans, they had this thing called the Fruit Loop, which was a guy who would get in his truck and he would drive and he went by, he was a farmer himself and he would get like the extra bananas, for example, and, and he had cases of them and cantaloupes and, and he would drive around then to every family in the church who had foster kids and give them these things as a way just to support uh, the people who were stepping up. And that left a mark on me because eventually the pastor came and said, would you consider being a foster parent? We have a family that's going off island, they're military, and they've had, there's two girls, and we found a home for one, but we need a home for the other, and we think they'd be a great match because she loves sports, she likes soccer, you're a soccer guy, so we took this girl in. So we've barely been married. My wife was only about four years older than this 16-year-old girl who moved into our home. Suddenly we were parents. God taught us so much through that. We weren't perfect, but we loved her. We shared the gospel with her. We kept a relationship with her for a long time. And there was another girl who we didn't officially foster. She came to the school unsaved. We poured into her life, and she ended up accepting Christ. And later she, came, she followed me to the school in California, when I became a college coach, she played for me. We just have this long relationship. She's lived in our house more than once in her life. When she needed help, she came. And uh, I got a picture of her. This is about five years ago when uh, she asked me to walk her uh, down the aisle to get married. This was actually the second time because her, her, I walked her down the aisle the first time and that husband passed away. He died. And then uh, she remarried here. So I actually walked her down the aisle twice. And uh, she's a beautiful local girl. And uh, uh, we have come to love her. We still have a relationship with her. We talk with her. And uh, these are two big motivators for me in why I, I talk to our church about adoption and about foster care. But what I'm going to do today, because I, I, I try to find ways to preach about this that isn't the same every year, because I've preached in James chapter 1 many times. So I'm going to go to Genesis 48, and we're going to look at the adoption of Manasseh and Ephraim, who are the sons of Joseph, and we're going to learn something. We're going to see something modeled in Scripture that 
we can apply to ourselves. But fundamentally, what we're going to discover is this, that our spiritual adoption into God's family is the model for us today for earthly adoption. Why would we adopt? Well, let's look at why God adopted us. And we draw things from that that not only motivate us, motivates us, guides us, empowers us to adopt here on earth. So we're going to go to Genesis 48. I'm going to read to you this, the first section of it. But before I do, I want to tell you where we're going. I put up here Genesis 48 challenges because this is where I want to land today. Number one, I want to show you that God is modeling earthly adoption in our spiritual adoption, which I just said. But secondly, God is calling someone today to adopt or to visit, which is oversee or shepherd, an orphan or foster kid. Every year we do Orphan Sunday without, uh, how would I say it? God's been faithful to raise up someone every year. And that's one of the reasons we keep doing it because there's a big need. And there may be someone who's sitting out there right now who through the message today, you feel the Lord is going to lead you into becoming a person who might adopt or a person who could foster. Or, number three, God is calling someone today to support another who is adopting and visiting an orphan. And I'll get to those at the end, but I wanted to tell you where we're going and where we're going to land. But we want to look at this adoption of Joseph's two sons. Now, as I pick up and read the first section out of this chapter, just to give you context, Joseph is one of Jacob's sons. He was the favored son, the son with the, the coat of many colors that the brothers were jealous of. They, they threw him in a pit, sold him into slavery. He ends up in Egypt, but God moves him through different uh, social strata to become the second highest uh, guy in all of the land of Egypt. God brings a great famine, but through Joseph, uh, they have stored up and they survived the famine. And one day, Joseph's family shows up because they heard there's food in Egypt. And through this, God brings Joseph's family back. Jacob thought his son Joseph was dead, but now God has used him to save the family. And Joseph's brothers and his dad, they move back to Egypt, and they're living there, but it, there comes a time where Jacob is going to pass away, and that's where we pick up right here. That's where we pick up. So, just realizing my glasses. I can't read without my glasses. There they are. Sorry. <clears throat> I need to adopt new eyeballs. Okay. Genesis 48. After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me in Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your off offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you shall be mine. Now let me just stop right there. Now, 
<clears throat> what you're seeing is Joseph's brought his sons, and now his father, Jacob, which through the chapter sometimes he's referred to as Israel because his name has changed. But he's going to take the two sons of Joseph and adopt them. Okay? And this is what we're going to learn. We're going to look at this adoption. Here's the first thing I want you to see in this father's adoption. That adoption is not about possessions to pass along. It's not about possessions to pass along. Fundamentally, adoption should be about a spiritual inheritance that you're going to give to that child. Far greater than any earthly inheritance you could give them. Now, in that little section, you saw him say, he sat up in bed, and he said to Joseph, when I was in Canaan, God appeared to me, and this is what he said. And he's going back, and he's referencing the covenant promises of God Almighty to him. I'm passing on to the next generation God's spiritual promises to you. That's what's going on. Now, just to show you, because in there it says you're going to have this land, everlasting possession. That's part of the spiritual blessing. But later in the chapter, he says, Moreover, this is the very end of the chapter, I've given to you rather than to your brothers one mountain slope that I took from the Amorites by the sword. So you can see there is some earthly possession that he's specifically given them. You know what? I've got this mountain slope. I could give it to these sons, but I'm going to give it to you. So you, there is some earthly, but that's way at the end, after all of the, uh, the uh, spiritual blessings are what's important at the front end that he's giving to them. You're going to see that as we go through the, through the passage. But really what I want you to see at the beginning is that adoption fundamentally, the motivator should be a spiritual inheritance. Now I began with the girls that that we had in our home. And the, the girl that was in the picture still has faith. But let me tell you, that was an up and down thing with her. To see her reject and slowly move, slowly move towards putting her faith in Christ. And then after putting her faith in Christ, seeing her walk in ways she shouldn't, but then seeing how God matured her in her faith. So many conversations I had with her, talking to her about life. Her father was in prison. When she came into the circles of our family at the time, she was living with another coach who I heard drugs were in the house. There was womanizing. Um, and so we had this heart to pull her out of that. And over time, to see her mature in her faith in Christ and see her life change. The spiritual inheritance is what matters. We could give a home, we could give food, we could give clothes, but when that's gone, when this life is over, what have we left within them? Jacob or Israel's first thing that he gives is about the spiritual inheritance, the covenant that was given to him. Now, you can also see adoption is not about the possessions earthly that we pass along. But adoption is not based upon what you are seeing in the child. 
I think this is interesting. He doesn't adopt them because of something he sees in, his, in, in those sons of Joseph. In fact, here's an interesting section, verse 8. It says, when Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, who are these? Now, his eyesight's not great, but it's like, do you know your own grandkids that well? But he says, Joseph said to his father, they're my sons whom God has given me here. He said, bring them to me. And as you work through the text, you see, we're going to bring this up at another point, is that the adoption isn't based on what I see in them. And sometimes today, that's why adoption happens, doesn't it? It could be that a husband and wife see a child and they say, I see in them the opportunity through adoption to fulfill something we never could have. We weren't able to have kids. And so perhaps they're satisfying something that they really desire that they couldn't do on their own. And so they're seeing something in the child that they're getting in that. Or perhaps they look at the child and they say, you know, they got a bad life. We could bring them in and give them a better life. And so they're seeing something in the child that's lacking that they think on an earthly way they could give them. And if I step outside of the church, I will tell you that's kind of the social justice approach. There's a child who comes out of poverty. You are somebody who has means and wealth and status, and you're in a higher social strata. There's an obligation to you to balance that, to go over there and take that child and bring them over and give them a better life. But these are not the reasons that we see adoption taking place here. It has nothing to do with what Joseph's father sees in those boys or what he gets. And to be honest, he already has 12 sons. Verse 8 to 9, he says in, <clears throat> in there, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. And that tells you the next point, which is that adoption is not partial inheritance or semi-family. And so he says, I want to bless them. Let me read to you the blessing. It's in verse 15. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them, let my name be carried on and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. He's passing on a full blessing, the covenant blessing that was given to him. He's saying, I give to you, bless the boys. In other words, they're not going to get a partial inheritance. You see, they're not fully Jewish, are they? They're part Egyptian. They don't come into the family and somehow they're like second-class sons because they're not full-blooded, because they're not from, from his wife. He brings them in and he says they're going to be fully sons. They're going to be full inheritance, just like my own sons. In fact, if I back it up, he says this earlier when he initially talks about the covenant. Verse 5, and now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. In other words, see, Reuben and Simeon were his firstborn children. 
So I have two firstborn children. I'm going to adopt these two, yours, Joseph. They're really my grandkids, but I'm putting them at a status that's equal to my two oldest firstborn boys. Full inheritance, full family. Now we're going to remember this because if earthly adoption is modeled after spiritual adoption, then it's going to tell us something about our own adoption into God's family. This is the Father's adoption. Those are the things it's not. Let me show you some things that it is or that they are. Adoption is based on the Father's love for His Son. He loves Joseph. I mean, if you grew up in church, you know the story, right? There's all the brothers, but Joseph was special. Joseph was so special, he got a coat of many colors. You remember that? And he walked around, the special coat signifies the, the love that his father had for him. It was one of the things that made the brothers jealous of him, that pushed them into eventually selling him into slavery. They took that coat, they ripped it up, they put animal's blood on it, they came back and said, he's dead. They got rid of him. He loved Joseph. And here in this chapter, he says, bring them to me. Look what he says. He says, the eyes of Israel, that's his eyes, are dim with age so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel, that's Jacob, said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring too. Oh, he had a love for Joseph. I mean, right there he's saying, I never thought I would see you again. Not only do I get to see you again, but I get to see your offspring. And he's declaring how blessed he is because of that. Israel already had 12 sons, but he adopts the boys as a blessing to Joseph. He doesn't do the same thing for all his other sons grandkids, in other words, but these two, special. Why? He, he loved Joseph. He adopts these boys based on the love he has for his son. Now, something else that adoption is, it's purposed for kingdom expansion. Well, why would he do that? Well, yes, because he loved him, but also because, look what verse 16 says in the blessing, and the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them, let my name be carried on and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Both of these boys, because of this blessing, will grow into nations. If you kind of go through the history of how uh, the nation of Israel grows, these two boys become tribes that are two of the most populous. They have like the most tribe people than the other tribes. The blessing comes true. And it's a way in which uh, the name of Israel is multiplied even greater because these two boys actually replace Joseph. So now you have two in place of one that become two of the most populous. 
So you can see the adoption, one of the purposes it serves is for kingdom expansion, to have a larger kingdom representation, to expand the name Israel. Now, I will go on to say what else adoption is here. Adoption is based on calling and election. Now you see this for how it plays out. Now just listen to, to what happens. I'm going to go back in the chapter. And he says, bring the boys to me. And this is when he says to Joseph, I never expected to see you. Now I get to see your offspring. And then this is what happens. Verse 12. Then Joseph removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands. For Manasseh was the firstborn. Now, if you're like, what is going on? This is what's going on, because this is a cultural thing. The firstborn son always received more of the blessing. And it was signified through that right hand, to put the right hand on the firstborn and then to pronounce the blessing. It was passed that way. You can go back and see it done uh, with the other patriarchs. The left hand, then less of a blessing on the second son. And so Joseph, knowing this, lines the boys up, bring them to me, and they're coming towards granddad, but he's got them lined up. I've got my firstborn who's going to be in front of his right hand, and I've got the, the, the secondborn in front of his left hand, so I've got it lined up right. And then here goes granddad. He's going to pronounce the blessing, and he goes, and switches it. You see that? Now, what do you think Joseph's going to do? Let's read what he does. When Joseph saw this, is verse 17, that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim, from Ephraim's head, to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. So he's trying to correct his dad. He's like, you got it wrong, dad. Not this way. And he's actually physically going to take the hands and try to do this. So he can, he can make sure that it happens the way it should happen, right? But this is partly why I say adoption is based on calling an election. Because the response here, the response is, <clears throat> by uh, Jacob, Israel, is, but his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He shall become a people, and he shall also, and he shall also, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. And then he blessed him that day. By you, Israel, will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. Basically, his dad says, I know. I know what I'm doing. You see, the, the tendency is to, to think about adoption in ways that are, well, you could say biological, right? You could say birth order. You could say things related to, well, not spiritual, not a, a heavenly lens to view it. But he says there's something else at work. God says, nope, my choice is this way. And 
the son of promise gets switched because it's God's calling. It's God's purposes in doing that. And yet he blesses them both, and I would tell you that in, in even this, both become blessed in this way. Not only in the first blessing do they become numerous as tribes, but the younger, the younger brother who he said will be more blessed, his tribe becomes important. In fact, later on when the, when the, the, the kingdom splits into two kingdoms, the, older brother, or the younger brother's name becomes synonymous with uh, one of those kingdoms. Like they're just thinking, they're thinking that how did, the, how did the, the grandson of Joseph, how did his name become synonymous with the identity of half, of half of the kingdom? And it's part of the blessing that unfolds. But in this, we're seeing adoption. Now, this is like a, a case study. I'm going to look at this. What, what is God teaching me through this, this adoption scenario that would speak to us today? So I'm going to go back to my Genesis 48 challenges. And here's the number one, which was that God is modeling earthly adoption in our spiritual adoption. Okay? He's modeling it. Um, we see this in verses that talk about our calling and adoption into God's family. John 1, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Again, in Romans 8, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we were children of God, and if children, then heirs of God and fellow heirs in Christ. And that word heirs is important because He's saying you have become part of the family. You're not half family. You're not half inheritance, partial inheritance. When we become children of God, we're adopted into the family of God, and we have rights to full inheritance. And Christians, sometimes we focus a little too much, maybe, at the ex expense of this, being children of God and the inheritance. We focus on just the sal salvation part. It's like, I've been saved, and now that I've been saved, the relationship that I have is, it, the context is always that. My Savior, do we think of Christ as a brother, as being in his family? One of my favorite shows, it was a book that they made into a movie a couple times, is The Count of Monte Cristo. The main character in that story is wrongfully put in prison, but he escapes. But in prison, he learns all these skills from a certain prisoner. But when he escapes, it's out on this island, he, he, he gets washed up on the shore and he wakes up and he realizes he's free, he's, he's escaped the prison. And he just begins to run and spin around and dance joyously, unaware that a bunch of pirates are on the beach. And the captain of the pirates, they capture him. And they sit him down and, and the captain says, listen, I've got a problem you can help me with. I've got one of my best pirates over here We've caught him stealing. Now I can't 
I don't want to lose him. He's one of my best sailors, one of my best fighters. But I can't let him off Scott, Scott free because then the other guys will start stealing. I got to do something about it. And you, finding you here, gives me an opportunity. And he says, how can I help with this? Well, we're going to let you two fight with knives. If you win, you win your freedom. If he wins, then uh, I won't put him to death. He's earned his freedom, but he didn't get off scot-free. He had to fight for it. And then all the men get to see like a, some sport, and they see it all unfolding. So he, he says, what are my other options? I don't really want to be in a knife fight. And he says, your other options is we just kill you. He says, I would be glad to fight him with a knife. So they fight. And in the fight, this pirate captain didn't know this, but one of the skills he picked up in prison was knife fighting. He beats the guy. But instead of killing him, he, he kind of puts him down. He's got the knife. And, and then he says, do not move. And he says to the captain, he says, Captain, I ask that you let him live. If you let him live, justice has been served. He still had to fight for his life and the men are satisfied. If you let him live, I will join you. And then you will have two good sailors and two good fighters. And he's making this case to let him live. And so the captain, how can he disagree? He says, let him live. And in that moment, that uh, thief, his name is Jacopo, he grabs him and Jacopo says to him, by my life, I am your man. I owe you my life. And for the rest of his life, for the rest of the story, for the rest of the book, for the rest of the movie, he serves him. He saved his life, spared it, and now the guy who got spared owes him. And so the relationship now is always that. The rest of the movie, it's like, I'm going to go and do this for you. How can I do this for you? And somehow, and this is what I got to get to you, is that that's not adoption. See, Christ saves us, but then he makes us part of his family. The, 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 in the Count of Monte Cristo, at the end, I don't want to spoil the end. I've been known for doing that. But in the end, the, the guy who was wrongfully put in prison, he reacquires his wealth. He moves into the big mansion again. And Jacopo's there, but he's not part of the family. And that's not what Christ does. Christ brings you in part of the family. There's full inheritance in the same way, and that's the emphasis that Jacob was making. They are my sons like my firstborn sons. And we can't ever look at that any differently. Sometimes we do this with families who have adopted kids. You kind of look at the family and you wonder, which ones are their real children and which ones are the, uh, you know, the borrowed children, you know? We might look at them that way, but that's not God's family. God's family is not like that at all. It's not as if we're going to get to heaven one day and be walking around and say, which one are the real children up here? No. If you're in heaven, you're a child. You're brought in and you're part of God's family. So we're seeing this through the example of Jacob and Joseph, Right? I'm going to show you something else. Ephesians 1, 3 to 6 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, 
even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purposes of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. You know, this verse, it talks about that adoption, predestined us for adoption, but you get to the end, what is it for? For God's glory, his glorious grace, but he's blessed us in the beloved, that's Christ. There's a way in which Christ is at the very center of the adoption. Look what this next verse says in Romans 8, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purposes, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be what? Conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Jesus Christ is the first to be resurrected in the way that he was. Every other person who will be resurrected after him and adopted into the family, we look at him as the firstborn. You are the first resurrection of your kind. But what he's saying is, if you're adopted, predestined for adopted to be conformed to his image, it's about Christ. There's a brotherhood that's growing. It's the expansion of the kingdom. When you invest in that adopted child or that foster child in a spiritual way, the most important thing that we can give is a spiritual inheritance. And there's a way in which that's kingdom expansion. That's God's family growing. That girl that I showed a picture of who has walked through this life and again and again yielding parts of her life to Christ to say, you need to be the boss of my life in this area. You need to be the boss of my life where she fought a lot of times in some things. You're seeing her being conformed to the image of Christ. She will get to heaven and she's part of that family. That's, ex that's kingdom expansion. And I will tell you, full inheritance, full family. There's a way in which even us in our earthly families you may have a child who was born through the womb and is your child by that nature, and then you have an adopted child come into your family. If this child doesn't accept Christ and doesn't come into the family of God, but the adopted child does, you have more in common with the adopted child than the birth child because there's an eternity with them, and you're in the family of God. That's why it's so important to make those spiritual investments. It's an old saying, blood is thicker than water, right? You know that saying? Well, blood may be thicker than water, but it's not thicker than spiritual adoption. So, I'm going to go back to these challenges. God is modeling earthly adoption in our spiritual adoption. Secondly, God is calling someone today to adopt or to visit an orphan. Now, I need to pause for a second and explain this because I'm using the word orphan. But in the West, we don't have orphanages in the way we used to. How many of you remember the movie Annie? It's a hard knock life for me. You remember this movie? Come on, I can't be the only one. right? You know, Annie right? In that movie, it's like 
the, the, the orphans live in these kind of dormitory style with a lot of beds. They're all in there together. There's only a couple of adults there that invest in them, right? That's how it used to be. But in the West, they changed that. There's a point in time where they began to see it's better for these kids to be in homes with families, and they, became, they came up with the foster care system. And they made great efforts to try to now organize themselves in a way to take kids that normally might be an orphan in an orphanage or they're away from their home right now and to put them in homes with families. They need to have that nurturing of a mom, the discipline of parents, the interaction with siblings. It's better for them in that context than the orphanage. You don't see orphanages like hard knock life any in the West today as much as you used to. You do in non-Western countries. Our church supports several orphanages, one through the PMA in the Philippines. In fact, at one point I was talking to the to PMA about us going and visiting. And Nob, Nob Kalau, he, he was telling me, he's the missionary there was, at the time, was saying to me, it's almost impossible. You have to fly here, drive here, fly here, get on a boat, go over here, drive again. It's just so, takes so long to get there. We support a missionary there, we, or an orphanage there. We support another orphanage in Bali, where I can't remember, five, six years ago, we raised almost $20,000. This church alone raised almost $20,000. We built two buildings that were homes, and we have, have mothers that live in them, and we put kids in there. But this is, this is we don't have orphanages in Guam like Annie Oakley. Or not Annie Oakley, that's a different Annie. You know which Annie I mean. We, we use foster care, foster care. And so there's a way in which I want to say God may be calling someone to adopt. That is, that is great because you can adopt. In Guam, it's hard. It's hard to adopt because the government of Guam, their, their, their focus is to try to reunite kids with the family they've been pulled out of. So they hold them while they try to work that out with the mother, the father, whatever the family situation is. So a lot of times they take a kid out of a home where they're not safe, they put them in a foster home, and there's a long process of working to try to reunite the kid with the family. It's hard to adopt. Once you adopt, it kind of ends that. They don't do adoption until they feel like it's over. We don't think we can get the kid back in with that family. And so the need in Guam largely is about fostering. Now, I said that uh, these candles represent you have a candle in your hand. Just hold it there for a second. We lead into this. I want to tell you that a decade ago when we began to do this, there was 150-something foster kids. Today, 675. Every year, the number of foster kids grows and grows. The first year we did this, everybody had a real candle. And we came down in the last song and I lit the candle. We all went around. We had lit candles. There's no way we're going to do 675 lit candles in here. So we switched to these. But still, I can't get 600-something candles on the stage. Every candle in here represents two, two foster kids. The need is great. A pure faith that follows Jesus Christ thinks about, considers, has a plan to somehow meet that need. Our church should be doing it. And I think he's calling someone to adopt or to foster. 
because every year he has. We've never had a, a November where we had Orphan Sunday where God didn't raise someone up. And I don't put pressure, I just preach it and I let God work in your heart and see who he calls. Now, look how many foster homes exist, 82. I mean, if you do the math, how could you fit 675 foster kids into 82 homes? It's like Brady Bunch to the 10th degree. So we need more homes. Now, God has opened other doors. Now that I serve as the, the president of the Guam Minister Association, I've gone to the pastors of the island, and I'm beginning to try to exhort them and say, look, here's 20 churches. If every church does this every November and every church raises up at least one, I mean, that's at least 20 new homes. And some churches will get more than one. And so the effort is there. We see it in Scripture. I'm driven by my own experiences to exhort you to consider and think about fostering. Now, I will tell you, the last one was God is calling someone today to support another who is adopting and visiting an orphan. I know, I understand, not everybody, not everybody could bring a foster kid into their home. I mean, first of all, they don't give them away to just anyone. They're going to come and look at your house. If you're interested, you can fill out an application, you can talk to someone, but eventually they come and look at your house. You have to have a bed. You can't just put a foster kid on the floor. They're not going to do that. Some people are like, I live in a, in a one-bedroom apartment. I could not take one in. I understand that. That's why there's other ways you can be led into this, into fulfilling James chapter 1's exhortation, and that is to support someone else, someone else who is, is able to bring a foster kid into their home. And that is a huge need, more than you might imagine. Some families take in infants. They've been taken out of their home, and and they have to travel off island and they're not allowed to take the infant with them. They need someone who would just take them for that week. This is called respite care, correct? Now, I want you to see that there are a lot of ways in which you can respond to this exhortation. Here's what we've done. There's a table out there in the foyer. It says Harvest House. When we started doing this a decade ago, Harvest House existed already. I said we don't need to create something that's already here. We need to come alongside and help them. And so we partner with Harvest House. Um, we have someone from CPS here, right here. Can you raise your hand? I forgot your name. You can ask her questions about fostering and the process. There's an application right there in the foyer if you want to fill it out. There's a sign-up list that says, you know, I don't want to commit to anything, but I, I, I want to follow up. I just want information. You could just sign that. It's not a huge commitment just to get more information. There are ways in which you can um, sign up to be this person who would support a respite-type person. I'm going to ask the Smiths to come on up. Every year we have someone who shares just a little bit. Usually it's somebody who has taken a foster kid in, and they tell a little bit about their story and how God led them into it. This year, I felt compelled to have Mark and Jolene Smith come up because they are taking on a role that's a respite provider, somebody who supports somebody else who is a foster um, care provider. So you guys have been in the church a long time. This is Mark and Jolene, and uh, I just want you to share 
how God led you into this and what, what you're going to do. Respite. Okay. Well, we've always been aware of the orphan um, year, uh, talking about the needs for children. And I've been in the public school system and seen the needs of children. And every time we talk about it, it's like, you know, how can we help? Our hearts just go out to the needs. But we've talked about it a lot and realized we just aren't able with our scheduling and everything else to become full-time foster parents. So through a community um, messenger message, there was a foster parent who made an appeal for finding some, she had two foster children and she made an appeal that their family had to go somewhere and they were looking for someone that could watch the children for their little time that they were gonna be on their vacation. And I went to my husband and I said, hey, maybe this would be something we could help them with because we're watching the children just temporarily and helping them be able to do what they want to do as a family. And so um, he totally agreed and we <laughs> talked about it and thought, yeah, I, get, I think maybe, maybe we could do this. And so we made an appeal to Harbor House Harvest House to let them know. And then they sent us to the right people with CPS and everything and gave us the form. And then we, uh, we did find out that the respite program is now, they demand uh, accountability and everything just as well as being a foster parent. So we filled out all the paperwork, did everything we needed. We had our house visited and everything. And we even just found out um, uh, from Angelic, Angelic that uh, this week we're actually going to fill, get, receive our official licenses as being respite parents. And so we actually are going to be able to help the family. Uh, they had a need for December and January, and so we are going to be able to take care of their little children. And uh, he definitely needs to say something. I want to give a, from a man's point of view, <laughs> we don't always hear about these things or know about these things because she worked with the school system. When my wife came to me, um, we thought about it, we, and I just thought, what a privilege. Um, you know, these kids are in the most de devastating parts of their lives. They've been separated from their parents, their homes, for whatever disastrous reasons. And uh, the foster families are trying to help them and support them. Now, I didn't share all this with the first service because I've got time to think about it. Is, is part of our lives to help them to be have continuity and so we want them to come in our home and see Christ is there too and we want them to see we want to be good examples for them it, it's even parts of discipleship and maybe even influencing a child to the Lord but anyway what a privilege for us and, and as for me my wife taught me all I know about nurturing children I love my kids but I she taught me how to be uh, loving to them in many ways more than I would have. All right. Let's stay right here for a second. I'm going to ask Deanna to come up. Deanna has been my um, point leader for all these years for the foster care stuff. She is the best person to ask questions about because she the full gambit of you know everything. Um, she's going to share a little bit about Harvest House. There's different, there's different ways Besides becoming a foster, besides respite, there are other ways that you can give to help these kids. So I'm going to let you take it. Can I? Here we go. Thank you, Deanna. 
So my family um, has um, been respite care providers, has been foster parents, and had the greatest privilege of being foster adoptive parents. And Harvest House, um, we have supported personally, and we've also received support from Harvest House. It's a faith-based nonprofit organization, as Pastor already mentioned, that Bayview has come alongside for many years to support. Um, and they, their mission is to support foster children, children with no parents, children that have been taken out of their home and placed with other families. And so um, there's many ways that, and, and the way they do that is through you. <laughs> they harness really the community's donations, time, money, and that is what they use to support foster children. So how you can help get involved through this organization is those means, your donations, your time, and your resources. Um, they are having next week their next information session and it's specifically for people who are very interested in respite care providing or foster care and if you just have all these questions you're not sure you 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 feel the burden this is a great time for you to come they will um, i believe cps cps is also involved with those meetings that's the time to answer any question you want to ask. And um, you get all the information you need to become a foster care parent or a respite care provider. Also, our, um, they're having a Christmas drive um, to help provide items to foster care children. Our first service just about wiped us out of all the stockings that we brought. <laughs> but we do have just a few um, Christmas stockings left. So if you can visit our back table that's in the lobby after the service, then we can um, provide you with a stocking and tell you how to get involved. And there, there's also times of the year where they have things like backpack drives. Where the, so there's other ways you can give that are specific to times of the year, correct? Yes, they hold a few other events throughout the year. And um, we also have flyers um, about Harvest House that can t tell you more about that. Okay. All right, here's what I'd like to do. I want to pray for you guys and for our message. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. We're going to finish our service uh, worshiping and see how God leads our hearts. Father, thank you so much for Mark and Jolene uh, and being faithful to your leading them into this uh, respite care. Uh, support is so important. First, we need families who would allow a foster kid to come into their house. And then we also need those who might come alongside them. We pray for both of those. We pray that you would raise this up within our church, within the larger church community. I pray for Deanna. She leads in so many ways in this area. I pray that you protect her family and that you give energy to her and that she would be able to help guide people here today into ways that they can um, answer the exhortation given by James chapter 1. A pure religion is one that cares for orphans. So we commit this up to you in Christ's name. Amen. Now, before we start singing, I need to tell you what we're going to do with these candles. I think it can be a symbolic act. We need people to come forward who will become foster parents, who would be respite care providers, who might donate. And so during this last song, I want to ask that you would come up and place a candle here anytime in the song when you feel ready is an act of like we need people to come forward and to put before the church the need to see every candle up here all together collectively and to see 
how great that need is. Every candle represents two foster kids on this island that have a need. So would you stand and we're going to sing a worship and when you're ready, come forward.